The world of real estate investing is always changing. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, attorney and author Natalia Willette Grice has the expertise to provide valuable guidance on how to navigate the complexities of real estate investing. This is the Legacy Academy. Hello and welcome to the Legacy Academy. I'm your host, Justin Grice, the COO of LCO Law, and with me as always, my wife, attorney Natalia Willette Grice, owner of LCO Law and the author of How to Manage Florida Rentals and Win in Court in less time and with less conflict. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be talking to landlords in Florida. Um, we want you guys to know the expectations there are for you uh, when it comes to property maintenance and other, other issues and aspects of rental property ownership so you can know the difference you know, between a happy tenant and one that's going to file a lawsuit. All right, so Natalia, why should a real estate investor be up to date about tenant rights? Well, uh, in simple words, right, because the cost of messing up can take months to years worth of your profits in one sitting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's a good enough reason, isn't yeah. it? All right. So can you give us kind of a little bit of a rundown of the basic tenant rights that every landlord should be aware of? Yeah. So I'm going to say, okay, so first and foremost, basic tenants' rights, right? Tenants have their rights to notice. And I'm not talking about you You let them know over a phone call or you came and you spoke with them orally. No, written notice is very important. That is a like 101 for tenants' rights. Timelines. So timelines for those notices. There's different day requirements depending on the kind of notice that you're giving. So, And you're talking about evictions here? Not just evictions, right? But notices of a breach, notices that you're going to come in and do a repair, okay. notices that you're going to not renew a lease or terminate, you know. Okay, all that, that's great, yeah. have specific timeline requirements that you need to be aware of. Another huge thing that you need to be aware of with basic tenants' rights are re regarding security deposits, okay? So if people have left security deposits with you, you know, they are, by law, you need to send them certified notice after they've vacated within uh, 15 days that you're going to make a claim, right, that, you know, how much you're going to make a claim for based on whatever damage the people did and what you're going to use up of that. And it needs to be sent out to the address that they give you, like the last known address that they give you. Mm -hmm. So these are specific things that you need to know. Otherwise, you're not allowed to keep those security deposits, right? You can... You can lose it if you haven't done it within a specific timeline. Um, you need to know about <clears throat> the maintenance required of premises, okay? And it's it's interesting because it's different depending on the type of unit. So if it's just a single family home or maybe a duplex where you live on the other side, you have very different requirements than if you have, um, you know, a multifam, three or more units, or you own like a series of uh, apartments, right? Very different. So let's just say for single family homes and a duplex, what's your requirement, okay? You need to make sure that everything having to do with foundations, doors, windows, roof, those are there and they're functional. Those are your requirements plus smoke detectors. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get to like multi-fam, three or more units, you need to make sure that you have like hot running water, okay? And that you have a heater, <laughs> And that you have um, hot water, okay? So running water, heater, 
hot water. Those are the additional requirements, obviously, in addition to having a functioning roof and door and windows and locks and that kind of thing, and garbage being removed and um, common areas being maintained clean, right? So those are the basic requirements for being a landlord in Florida. So one thing I didn't hear you mention, and this is Florida, uh-huh. is an AC unit. You don't need to have an AC unit. Nope. Unreal. Okay. <laughs> so that kind of leads into this next question. When I was doing my research for this topic, um, one, one term that kept coming up was habitable living condition. Yeah. Now, in my habitat, I must have an air conditioner. Clearly, that's not a requirement <laughs> for Florida. That's not a requirement. <laughs> so how does Florida define a habitable living condition? So habitable living condition in Florida really is that you have a roof that, you know, is leak free. You have doors that close. You have windows that close. You have screens on those windows. (laughs) And you have a foundation that functions like a foundation. That is really a habitable living condition. So long as that building complies with the local building and health codes, you're good. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's pretty basic. It's very basic, yes. (laughs) Okay. So shifting gears a little bit here, um, the reason I wanted to ask this question is because we get a lot of tenant or, excuse me, landlords that talk about, I want to evict my tenant for this, evict Mm -hmm. my tenant for that. And a lot of those reasons that we get aren't necessarily valid. So can you give us some of the legal uh, grounds that a landlord can evict a tenant? So grounds for eviction. Okay. So, right. Breaches. You know, like people say the riches are in the in the niches. Well, like the key to eviction is all about the breaches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the number one one that everybody knows is non-payment of rent, right? But you can actually evict your tenant for other reasons. You can evict them because they have unauthorized pets, uh, unauthorized um, smoking, unauthorized occupants on the premises. You can evict them because they've failed to comply with their obligations under the statute. So they're keeping the place in unsanitary condition. They've messed up your plumbing. They've engaged in any sort of destruction or defacing of your property. And my favorite is uh, they've engaged in unreasonable disturbances or what we consider breaches of the peace. Okay, So if your neighbors are complaining about the loud music playing and the blah, 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 or vulgarity or threats, you can evict them based on that as well. Okay. So how does that relate to people who are on oral leases? I know that you always rail against oral leases. (laughs) You say put them in writing, but to the people who have them, Uh how does that, how can you prove a breach if there's nothing in writing? Well, because the evidence is your testimony uh, weighed against theirs and maybe the neighbor's testimony and maybe an affidavit from a neighbor when it comes to those kinds of things. These statutory ones are your lease. Okay. Okay. okay? So doesn't mean that you can't evict because you don't have a written lease agreement. A written lease agreement just gives you more reasons that you can evict a person, right? Like they, more solid reasons, more, more concrete, solid yeah. reasons. Yes. You know, like if in the lease agreement it says that they were supposed to mow the lawn and do it three times a week and you've noticed that lawn is way overgrown, you can evict based on that, right? Especially because if you're in an HOA community, you're going to get the fines and penalties assessed to you from that HOA association and they can foreclose on your property. So mm-hmm. these are really important reasons why to include these 
restrictions and requirements and lease agreements that can let you get rid of a person that is going to make it so that you might lose your property. Okay. Do you have to give them a chance to, to fix re, fix this situation or remedy it? Yeah. Yes. So that's part of that basic notice requirement that I was saying, you know, regarding like what are tenants' rights? Tenants have a right to notice for most things. Okay. There are some things that you can terminate without, like you can terminate within seven days by giving them notice that you're out. you got to be out of here in seven days. And those are, for examples, like threats of physical violence, uh, defa- like defacing your property intentionally, right? Not like, oh, my dog accidentally chewed on this and I'll fix it. It's like I took a hammer and broke the stuff, yeah. which people have done. People do. <laughs> um, but otherwise, you need to give breaches for curing. And usually those are seven-day written notices notices. for people to engage in in curing whatever thing they've messed up, um, fixing it up. For when it comes down to non-payment of rent, you also have to give them the cure period. That's that three-day notice. Mm -hmm. So for rent, it's three days. For other types of breaches, it's seven days, unless they're kind of like nearly unconscionable kind of breaches to which you can just terminate. So. Let me ask you this. If somebody, you brought up the mowing example. If it's in your lease that they have to mow twice a week because mm-hmm. the HOA requirements, right? right? And they make you serve them that seven-day cure notice every month. Mm-hmm. They just they mow it once a month. Yep. The repetitive nature of that infraction, does that give you the right, even yes. though they've cured it? Yes, yes. So if they've engaged in repetitive conduct within the same 12-month period, you can then do a seven-day notice of just termination. So okay. no Does longer that have to be in your lease that it's a no, repetitive? No, that's statutory. That's statutory. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. Okay. So how much mo- uh, notice must a landlord give before entering a tenant's property? Ah, so like an attorney, I'm going to say it depends, right? <laughs> <laughs> It notice has to be reasonable, right? So for repairs, for example, now the statute requires that it be 24 hours notice, posted written notice that you're having somebody come by and do a repair on the property. And that's reasonable. And the the repairs can't be made outside of the hours of 7.30 in the morning at 8 p.m., which okay. again, is reasonable, reasonable, right? right. Um, do the tenants have to be home? No, they don't have to be home. Okay. okay? But... A landlord can enter at any time to protect the property. So let's say there was a hurricane that came by, right? And they've noticed like, oh my God, the the roof is coming off, right? They can come and enter and have a repair crew come in to preserve their property. Yeah. Uh, and they don't need to give you 24 hours notice. They need to be doing this as, qu- as quickly as possible, right? Same thing if there's a fire or any other thing that puts the actual property at risk. Okay. Um, so entering in case of emergency, right? And the landlord can also enter the premises if the tenant has unreasonably withheld access. This is important because there are some tenants, I get some calls from landlords and they're like, they won't let me come in. I've tried posting notices. I'm like, you can just go in. Okay. (laughs) The, the, The statute says you can now go in. Now, I recommend that you give at least 12 hours notice, but you can go in because they can't unreasonably withhold access, period. You have to be able to understand and know the condition of the property that you're leasing out. I would say my recommendation is always like, go do quarterly checkups to see how your property is doing. Okay. All right. So another call that we get a lot is about rent increases. Mm Now, can a landlord increase their rent at any time during the lease period? You know, they get a new financial obligation that requires mm-hmm. an increase in rent for that property. Mm-hmm. 
Can they change the lease terms? Um, so I'm going to say, like, not at any time per se, but I will add this caveat. So during the COVID pandemic, there were a lot of, like, counties and cities that were trying to, for example, put in, like, rent bans, rent increase uh, limits, and say you can't increase more than this percentage, blah, blah, blah. The Florida legislature closed that down fairly quickly, added a section to the Florida statutes regarding tenancies, right, especially residential tenancies. And they're like, by the way, counties, municipalities, you can't do any of these things. The Florida statutes are what govern the landlord-tenancy relationships, and your little tiny nuances or attempt to control property owners at the lower level are not valid. Okay. Okay. So that was a very important step that was taken. That's why Florida is considered a very landlord-friendly state. Okay. But number two, to make changes in your lease agreement, you do need to have notice, okay? So if, you're, if your lease is month to month and oral, you can just say, hey, I'm putting a notice of termination of the lease agreement. You have to give it within the right amount of time. So if it's month to month, you now have to give it within 30 days before that lease expires. So if you were doing like, you could give notice on the 30th for it to be effective the 30th after, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and you can say, I'm terminating it, and if you want to renew the month after, this is going to be the new rent. Okay, so oral gives you that flexibility. Sure. If you have a written lease agreement, uh, I would say, number one, make sure that you're reviewing your lease agreement so they don't have automatic renewals or renewals that are only at the option of the tenant. Those are the dumbest things that could possibly be in lease agreements. But we've seen it. <laughs> we've seen it. We've seen it so much. Um <laughs> And you want to make sure that you have it in there that says, you know, like, boom, it terminates at the end of the term. I'll give you notice. And then if you want to renew, right, it's a, it's under my terms as a landlord for how much rent is going to be. Okay. Yeah. Keep the control as the property owner because property taxes go up. Insurance goes up. Look at how insurance yeah, rates insurance have gone up for homes, right, in the past few years. It's been crazy. So you need to be able to run your rental businesses effectively, which means you need to be able to maintain control over those agreements. So don't shoot yourself in the face beforehand by having these automatic renewal provisions and things like that. Right. Okay. Um, What are some of the requirements for a landlord to make accommodations for disabled tenants? Okay. So very important. I want you all to remember this Florida statute, 760.23. Okay. This is the statute that has to do with reasonable accommodations. All right. So first and foremost, think of it this way. As part of like the American with Disabilities Act, the the state laws that have to do with disabilities, right? The there's kind of a balance, okay? The balance is this. Reasonable accommodations. So on one hand, a person who is disabled can't request things that are unreasonable and unreasonable includes that's going to require a ton of money for the landlord to invest in the piece of property to make it sure. accommodating right water so, doors ramps things right, like that right like an elevator and a two story home no those are not reasonable accommodations sure. period right at the same time um it is deemed to be unlawful on the other end under Florida's you know, disability laws to decline to rent out to somebody who is willing to, at their own expense, or at the expense of the person with a disability, pay for those reasonable accommodations. So if they're willing to dole out the cash to 
put the, you know, like the ramp holder things in the bathroom to maybe widen the, the door of the bedroom so a wheelchair goes in. If they're willing to pay for that, you can't say no. <laughs> so they can make modifications they to the property? They can make reasonable modifications to the property. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. So keep that in mind, right? Reasonable modifications. Who determines reasonable modifications? So reason is funny, right? Because reasonable is, you know, like, uh, what does a reasonable person think? What is a modification that is perhaps not reasonable? Um, maybe redoing the whole kitchen to bring down the counters to somebody's level, right. or to bring them up, you know, level. That is probably unreasonable. <laughs> Unless this person is like, you know, a, a super major chef, and then like that could be a reasonable accommodation for the kitchen in the hot in the sorry in the restaurant that he's going to be a chef at. So it depends. It's it's not only objective, it's subjective, right? So you have to be mindful of that because reasonable is very fact specific. Yeah, it sure is, and it, it's something that you need to really be aware of when you're doing your. Uh... You're, you're screening. Yes, yes. Because you, when you're doing your tenant screening, right, that's the other thing. You can't discriminate based on somebody's disability. Right. And so you have to be mindful of, okay, based on the place that I have, would this probably, you know, potentially be appealing to somebody with a disability? What kind of disability? And then what would be, like, reasonable accommodations for this person, right? Maybe wide enough hallways. Um, but that sounds like major construction on your property. However, uh, the the good thing is, right, most building codes are already built in with this compliance in mind. Sure, okay. okay. So unless your property is very, very old, that might require some modifications. Or if you've got a bungalow from the 1930s that nothing's been fixed, <laughs> you might have some issues there. But, you know, modern real estate in the past 20, 30 years is going to have those built in. Okay. All right. Um how should a landlord legally handle the abandonment of property? This is one of those questions that we get all the time. Hey, I had this tenant. They moved out without word. I don't know where they are. Mm -hmm. And they left all their crap. Yeah. So first of all, you have to determine, is the property really abandoned? Okay. So the, the statutes give you a clue. They say it's got to be vacant at least half the term. So if it's a monthly lease, it's got to be vacant at least for two weeks. If it's a quarterly lease, it's got to be vacant at least a month and a half, okay? So those kind of give you guidelines of has it really been vacant? And another clue is, of course, are they not paying rent anymore? Because, hey, I could be traveling through Italy and still consider that my home. Yeah, right. <laughs> but if I'm paying rent, that's giving you the clue that that's just, hey, I'm, I'm just traveling, right? Um, death is another big one. So when a person passes away, right, they have to be deceased generally 60 days, Nobody coming by or making claim to the property within 60 days. Yeah. Um, and then let's say you've uh, gotten an eviction proceeding. Very different because if you've gotten like actual legal possession by virtue of eviction proceedings and a sheriff came by and they put you in, in possession of the property, you do not have a duty to keep and maintain those things. Okay. Okay. You don't at that point because you've been given legal possession again. So this is why I recommend that even if the property is vacant and they've left, but you still have a lot of stuff there, I would go through the eviction proceeding just so that I can have that security of having legal possession confirmed again. 
and then being able to remove those items and just, you know, move on and rent it. <laughs> All right. What, uh, what documentation should a landlord keep regarding tenant interactions? Oh, okay. So I would say keep all written notices. Um, and I love that there's so many applications nowadays that landlords can use to maintain this data. Okay, mm -hmm. right? So instead of having it be where you're making a phone call, you ask them to call you for repairs. But no, have it all be written. Okay, yes. here's the application. Make the request for the repair. Let me know what's going on here. If you need, you know, an extension for payment of rent, because let's say your your boss changed the the date when they're doing like the check for, you know, whatever it might be. At that point, you want to keep a written record. You also want to keep obviously copies of your leases, signed copies of your leases. You have no many. I I cringe at how many people come to me regarding eviction proceedings, and they're like, oh, there was only one copy, and I gave the signed copy to my tenant. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, you want to keep photos of inspections. You have to. You want to keep photos of notices that have been posted on the premises because those are things that would be beautiful to attach for eviction proceedings. You want to keep copies of mail notices and mail receipts, especially those certified mail notices when you're doing um, security deposit claims. That's all going to help you and protect your business. What about email and text communication? Should those be memorialized as well? They should be, but you should really not communicate with your tenants via text. Use the applications. They're a great record. Just like, I'm going to give you a parallel, right? In the world of divorce and marital law, there are applications that are used specifically for parental communications. They save them. Neither side can delete them. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's good. It's like a third-party intervener. And the courts recognize those as a great preserved record. So if you can use those applications that are designed for landlords and tenants to interact, again, that's a great, beautifully uh, preserved record. That's going to be a lot more respected than this person said this via text and blah, blah, blah. And how do you know that this call, et cetera. So just have it be a good habit that you use written communication for everything having to do with your tenants. Okay. All right. Um, can a landlord restrict a tenant's guests in Florida? That's another one that we get all the time. This guy has this girl over all yeah. the time and she's obnoxious <laughs> or it's messing up the parking or whatever. Yep. yep. So you can restrict based on non-discriminatory things. Okay. So you can restrict, uh, restrict like scope of time. Like you can only have guests over for a maximum of, you know, like seven days at a time kind of a thing. Uh, you can restrict to saying that there's only one vehicle allowed to park here, period, right? So if somebody's visiting, that there can't be a second car there. Uh, you can restrict based on behaviors. So, hey, if so-and-so's girlfriend is coming in and she makes, you know, in what we call in Spanish world, which is just like somebody that's loud and maybe nasty and interacts, you know, in a not pleasant way with other people, <laughs> that's another reason that you can restrict. So, so you can put it in, but... You want to be in control of what allows you to remove people. And so write it into your lease agreements. These are acceptable behaviors. These are acceptable times that guests can come in. But I want to really make it clear, right? You cannot engage in any practices that are going to violate discrimination laws. So in your leasing, right? Race, age, gender, religion, national origin, disability, marital status, those are not okay to discriminate upon. Okay. All right. All right. Now, one other thing I wanted to ask about was um, tenants withholding rent because mm -hmm. we've seen emails and oh, stuff yeah. 
from from landlords that are like the tenant emailed me this like this is broken and they're not going to pay me rent until it's fixed <laughs> is that a thing is, is that a valid reason not to pay your okay. rent if something in your in your rental is broken so we do hear about this all the time and let me tell you tenants don't understand what is a permissible reason to withhold rent and what isn't because the statute is very narrow in scope. And yes, this is like based it's a on statute. Yes. Too? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the statute says your tenant can withhold rent if you have not complied with 83.51 subsection one of the Florida statutes. What is that? That's the one that I mentioned about the doors have to function, the windows have to function, the foundation has to function. The walls have to be there. So structural component issues. Okay. Okay. Then they got to give you written notice. Okay. Written seven days notice to cure the thing before withholding rent. And in those notices, they have to say, if this isn't repaired, then I'm not going to pay rent. So they can't withhold rent all of a sudden because the dishwasher stopped working. They can't withhold rent because... The microwave stopped working. They can't withhold rent because the toilet is overflowing, okay? They're not allowed to per statute. The statute has a very narrow scope. We've seen some wild Oh, reasons. yeah. There's a huge misunderstanding out there about what can allow a tenant to withhold rent. So I just want to be very clear. It's 83.51 subsection 1 of the Florida statutes. That's it. Excellent. All right, and lastly, Natalia, can you give some instances or consequences for a landlord violating a tenant's rights in Florida? Yeah, okay. So if the tenant fails to comply with those doors, roofs, you know, walls, all those things, right? Like your tenant can get attorney's fees and costs and actual damages of being in a, you know, in a place that doesn't have it's a functioning habitable. roof. Exactly, that's not <laughs> habitable, statute. okay? Yeah. If you engage in retaliation, okay, this is where landlords engage in self-help, quote unquote, right? And I see this in all of the landlord groups around the area, right? Facebook landlord groups, et cetera. Moronic advice being given by other people that don't know what the hell they're talking about, that are going to get you in serious trouble, where they're like, oh, just change the locks, man, or just, uh, you know, like, turn off the utilities, et cetera. Those are all prohibited practices, and the, the tenant can, in addition to their attorney's fees and costs, get uh, at least three months rent wow. <laughs> as damages for you engaging in these behaviors. So don't do that, okay? In addition to, right, if you are not in compliance with the health code or building code for that particular property, obviously you can get fines and penalties assessed by the county or the state. So be mindful of your role. Florida is very landlord friendly, but we do have minimal requirements that we need to keep in mind as landlords and make sure that everything is in writing. All right. So if you guys need help with your lease agreements to make sure they're ironclad, if you guys have problem tenants that you need to get out, give us a call 813-480-2106. We have dealt with this for what you you said, many years, 14 and a half years now. (laughs) So we know how we can help you and we want to be there for you investors. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast application and then tune in every Monday to get more tips on how to avoid investing's legal pitfalls and take your real estate business to the next level. 
You can also find us online at lcolawfl.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Legacy Academy FL.